Welcome to Metaphorically Speaking with me, Delia Delore. This is the podcast where we dissect popular mottos, mantras, and metaphors, tracing their origins and finding how they translate to everyday life. Each week, we have a special guest who resonates with their chosen expression. How's your week been? I'm sure it's been one of planning. This is the time of the year when many people plan. They're planning for this week, next week, the end of the year, the beginning of the new year. It's just one of those times. Well, I actually found myself thinking about all the incredible and stupid stories people have given me in the past. And some of them I accepted, giving them the benefit of the doubt. And others, I just knew that they were just giving me some cock and bull, but I just either didn't care or didn't have time to sort it all out. And saying all that, you know, I always like to throw in our metaphor as I talk to you. So perhaps you've guessed that our metaphor today is a cock and bull story. As usual, we'll be looking into the history of the phrase itself and we'll explore its relevance in more depth later. I'll also have a wonderful guest in the studio with me later, none other than the incredible Kate Irugbu. I am so looking forward to chatting with her about her work. But before that, as always, let's delve into how the phrase a cock and a bull story might have evolved and, of course, what it means. story is of course a grossly exaggerated or fictional tale. The metaphor is generally used in a derogatory way as an accusation that the teller is deliberately trying to deceive either with or without malice. A dodgy alibi, a tall tale used as an excuse for a child not having done their homework, or a grown-up not turning up for an appointment, these would be examples. Most of us are familiar with fairly innocent day-to-day excuses such as, I was out of signal, (laughs) I lost my phone, or delays on the tube, stuck in a tunnel, all kinds of things. I'm sure you know, you've heard them. And maybe you've even said some of them sometimes. Well, we tolerate these because we've all had those things really happen to us. And even if we suspect them to be cock and bull stories, we give the benefit of the doubt, don't we? Don't believe a word Words can't tell Lies are no cover when there's tears in your eyes. Don't believe me if I tell you not a word of this is true. Telling lies or embellishing the truth is universal amongst us, of course. We accept white lies, harmless untruths that hurt no one, but perhaps we don't realize how natural they are. Recent studies at the University of Massachusetts and University of Virginia showed that both men and women average three lies in every 10 minutes of normal conversation. Yes, I said three lies in every 10 minutes of normal conversation. (laughs) That's incredible. And deceive nearly a third of the people they speak to -to one-to-one. 
makes me think about conversations I've had with other people now. Hmm. Okay, told tales, dodgy alibis, excuses. We have plenty of phrases to describe them, but where does the phrase cock and bull fit in? Well, there are theories that it derived from the French phrase coquelin, but simpler explanations exist that are more direct. The most common explanation, it seems, is that the phrase originated in the English town of Stony Stratford, back when people travelled in horse-drawn coaches and broke their journey for refreshments along the way at local inns or coach houses, as they were known. Stony Stratford was a main stop for business travellers between England's two busiest cities, London and Birmingham, and there were two main coach houses, the Cock and the Bull. (laughs) Yes, they're actually still there today. They would compete for the travellers' custom, of course, but rivalry was friendly and customers would mingle with each other, exchanging tribal banter and gossip and indeed try to outdo each other with ever more fanciful stories which became known as cock and bull stories. However, some etymologists believe it to be a lot older. Storytelling for entertainment amongst travellers was certainly commonplace for centuries beforehand. The Canterbury Tales was published in 1400. The phrase cock and bull appeared in the script of a comic play written in 1608, and the way it is used there suggests that it was fairly common to hear wild stories about cockerels or bollocks. The animals were a part of everyday life for most people back then, unlike today. Perhaps a modern equivalent would be when an angler might exaggerate the size of the one that got away. However, let's not get involved in that debate. We have enough animals to concentrate on. Let's start with cockerels. They crow to announce the dawn and their presence and their dominance to the world. And there's often this element of exaggerated ego in a cock and bull story. When someone is showing off his own importance, the comment might be made that he thinks he's the cock of the walk. Added to that, in modern slang, we have some related terms for nonsense in modern English. A person can be said to be talking complete cock or complete poppycock. What about bull then? Well, bulls are not exactly known for their subtlety. Bullish behavior is loud and domineering. So again, the characteristic fits with our metaphor. And yes, they would also make a quite effective alarm in the mornings. The word bull by itself is also used to describe nonsense as a shortened form of bullshit. So we can easily see how cock and bull implies exaggeration and nonsense, often with a bit of ego for good measure. A cock and bull story takes these elements and rounds them out into a complete narrative, usually embellished with fiction. If not done purely for entertainment, but to boost the ego, there's often a deliberate attempt to deceive 
and this element can take things beyond the bounds of rational possibility. Our guest today, Kate Irogbu, runs the Triumph Over Adversity organization, the title of which reflects her own life and struggles and path to success. She is an author, coach, and advisor, helping people and organizations to achieve their full potential despite the difficulties they may face. So without further ado, here she is. Thank you for joining me, Kate. You have a strong view, or shall I say strong views, about the definition of adversity. Can you share it with us? Thank you, Dila, and uh, for having me at your show. And I really appreciate this opportunity to highlight my view of uh, adversity. Thank you. Adversity, according to the Oxford Dictionary, was focusing on the pain the ill luck, the bad luck, the struggle. And I felt, hmm, if this is what adversity is all about, then I can understand why many are crumbling in adversity. I can understand why 92% of the world population are failing to fulfill their potential, according to statistics. I felt that, indeed, it is true that there is pain in adversity. We do go through pain. There is time, you know, moments of sadness. I, I agree with that part. But that's not all about adversity. Adversity is much more than that. And I felt this is not fair on humanity. And this is injustice. I had to redefine adversity. Because I truly believe that adversity is much more than what the Oxford Dictionary have told us about adversity. And guess what? My redefinition of adversity is this. Adversity is the process that we have to undergo to be strengthened, to make a better version of ourselves, and to prepare us for our next level of success to live a fulfilled life. That is what adversity is. Because it is a process. It's not a place we have to stay and feel sorry for ourselves. It's a place for us to reinvent ourselves. Because in my own journey of adversity, in my own journey of adversity, I actually found my calling. So it's not just about the pain. I acknowledge it that there is pain in adversity, which I've also created my ad strategy, my A-key strategies to handle adversity, which has become the way forward. I also believe that we should also realize the opportunity that adversity brings. But some of your definition seems like it could be called self-esteem. Do you think there are, they are similar adversity and self-esteem or not? No, I wouldn't say, you know, they are similar. They are not. Adversity is the process, meaning that the challenges that you're going through is to build you, is to create a better version of yourself. It's not just about the pain. For example, for someone who have received a letter of termination of their job, instead of crying and feeling sorry for yourself and saying, Oh, why me? 
it's a time for you to actually reflect back and ask yourself, what have I done right in this job? Where can I improve? Or this job I had, was it actually the right job for me? Was I fulfilled in this job? Or was I just paying my bills? Mm. Was the salary actually what I'm expected to have? Or I was just managing? So those are the questions you should be asking yourself. Instead of thinking, oh, am I going to pay my bill? Oh, I'm the, the worst thing has happened to me. Oh, my God. Because with that mindset, you can actually get a job that is much better, a job that gives you time time to spend with your family, if that was what you look forward to having, that you didn't have in that job. That was the, that's the time you're going to ask yourself, if actually being an employee is the right thing for you, or you have to pursue something different. But where does that start? How does someone learn to get and believe in adversity? Because you, you have to ask yourself the key question. Because um, if you stay there and don't acknowledge it, and you're just telling some cock and bull story around your challenges, because I did say in my book, Triumph in the Midst of Adversity, that for a lady, for example, if you're in a relationship and you're looking forward to getting married, and you're in your 40s or in your 50s, and you've tried several relationships, and it's not working for you, Instead of just blaming your partner, is a time for you to ask you, yourself some key questions, which I also stated in my book. Because more often times, what we do, we use excuses as a racket to keep ourselves in our comfort zones. We, we, as humans, we're emotional beings, but we should not feel sorry for ourselves and use that to keep ourselves behind. I believe that we can cry if, you, if that makes you feel better. But I always advise everyone I've spoken to, any events I've spoken to, do one thing for me. That whenever you cry, ensure that your tears doesn't drop in vain, but should move you a step closer to achieving your goals. You mentioned um, Cock and Bill story in your response there. What would you say? And I think you've actually said it, but I think I want to hear in your own words how you would say this. How would you identify telling someone, you know, the story you've just told me is a cock and bull story? Can you actually see yourself telling someone that? Or do you sometimes think that when you hear what someone has to say or when you listen to someone saying what's happened to them? Yes, I do. I do I do hear it when people say it. And the reason why I feel people actually tell cock and bull story oftentimes could be they are, they are afraid to be who they are, either they are making excuses or they are not just, you know, being fair to themselves. They're not being honest. If you are someone who is comfortable in your skin and you know that you're really open to learning, there's no need telling cock and bull story. You know, know your weaknesses, you know, and know your strength. Everyone have their weaknesses, but oftentimes many are afraid to, you know, accept their area of weakness and when that happened it could turn to people telling cock and bull story you know that's why i mentioned low self-esteem earlier i i see a a small similarity on that because if your self-esteem is low you can't always tell yourself oh this has happened to me um i'm going to look at what how i can turn this round to be positive as in adversity, you know, you need to have a certain kind of belief in yourself 
and be comfortable within yourself and you know to know that whatever comes your way you're going to find whatever it takes to make it better for yourself but i want to go back to um the one of the initial questions i asked you kate where do you feel adversity begins in someone's life how do you get the strength to act on adversity when it's facing you for me i would say that adversity can start anywhere because as human we are prone to go through challenges in life for some it might start from home for some it might start in their adulthood maybe in their relationship with their spouse it could you could face adversity as a student in your academic so you can face adversity in any area of your life but the key thing is you having the understanding of what adversity truly is and having a strategy to handle your adversity so you can overcome it and by so doing you become unstoppable instead of telling cock and bull story around your challenges well i think you, your message is quite clear and i think that people have to dig a little deeper into what they truly are you know sometimes we don't want to face ourselves and i think that if we face ourselves then we we'll, we can be more honest with ourselves and then when things like this come up we will be able to face it with the adversity that we need to face it with but kate what are you up to right now i know you have a book tell us about that i have books <laughs> that's right oh sorry Because... i should say a new book yeah. i beg your pardon <laughs> yeah, yeah. My first book is Triumph in the Midst of Adversity and this book was a book that God gave me the title to write in 2007 but because I was in a place whereby I was actually waiting to solve the challenges I was going through at the time this is a cock and bull story now mm-hmm. that we are talking about because I was in that place instead of me acknowledging my adversity and having a strategy to handle my life challenges so i can become unstoppable and to triumph even in that challenging situation but i was just talking that situation it was becoming overwhelming so everything in my life is about the children in and out of hospital how they can get better if i can do any other thing and because of that even when they got better you know when i say better meaning the hospital transport you know admission reduced i was still not um, listening to that book title because i thought it was a joke triumph in the midst of adversity what is the where is the triumph i could see the adversity because at that point in time my understanding of adversity is totally different it's just based on the dictionary definition of adversity but 10 years after i realized that indeed the book triumph in the midst of adversity is part of my journey well, that was when i wrote this book and since i wrote this book the rest is history because i've realized in my life that whatever situation you're going through you can use it as a stepping stone to your success mm-hmm. all you need to do is to acknowledge it and follow my eight key strategies absolutely which have been tested and i can indeed say it works i've tested it i've been it's been used and applied on sibling rivalry and hate unemployment issues you know different challenging health problem with my children i've followed this absolute and it's indeed work a means acknowledge your adversity and f is figure out the cause because if you don't 
follow this strategy. This is what leads people to making, you know, excuses around their difficulties and making their difficult situation to become worse. You must acknowledge it. It might be major or minor, but you must acknowledge that this is indeed an adversity. Don't tell some cock and bull story around it because it's going to leave you in your comfort zone and you're going to use the adversity as a racket to keep yourself there. And the P there is to prevent it from occurring and D is deal with it. And if you want to learn more about these strategies, you can get the book. It's on Amazon, it's in Kindle and paperback, and it's also on Lulu. So what is going on in my life now? Uh, when George Floyd died in May the 25th, last um, year, I actually realized that, listen, this is too much. Because I cried, I screamed, and later asked myself, Kate, if you are feeling this way, then how would the child feel? How would the ex-partner or partner feel? How would the family be feeling? And this has been happening, you know, what is going on? We have to do something about it. And that led me to call a meeting, a Zoom call for us to address the issue of racism because I began to feel that this is becoming too much and we need to put a full stop. After the meeting, I realized that everyone that attended this meeting, we had solution to this problem. And I said, you know what? Talk is good, but action will be better. So I called them back and I said, we're going to put this in writing. I've decided we should write a book, not just chatting about it and talking about good points, solutions, but nobody's hearing us. We have to put it down black and white. And we came up with this book, How You Can Stop Racism. And I actually created a racial equity system in this book that everyone has to follow because people have been, we have been addressing racism in a way it hasn't worked. That's why I said in this book, if everything you have been trying, you have, we have approach we have taken to abolish racism hasn't worked. Why don't we follow the racial equity system, which is the way forward? In abolishing racism and they will be announcing the launch very soon but it's also available on amazon that's very strong that uh that brings me back yeah you're right that brings me it uh yeah sometimes there's just so much talk and um not enough action to you know, make an impact and i'm, I'm so glad that you know you've taken Dilla, that initiative. Dilla, the beautiful thing about life is this my adversity have actually made me to you know, have dreams I never, you know, thought of in my life. Mm. Adversity have made me not to actually know the inner strength that is within. I was just living my life based on my qualification. And I said in one of these events where I was invited to speak as a, a guest speaker that my life, my, my degrees, my numerous qualifications almost robbed me of my calling. Now I'm the director and CEO of Triumph in the midst of adversity.com. The company name is named after my first book. And now we are offering coaching, consultancy, publishing, public speaking. We're offering several services. You can check it out yourself. It's www.triumphinthemidstofadversity.com. So this is what I did. I made sure that the situation I was going through made a better version of myself. You can see the definition of the adversity I gave you. This is me. Because I was, you know, surrendered with adversity left and right. As if that was what my name was, you know, made of. But look at, looking back now, I'm just realized that, listen, the adverse situations I've been through, they were not there to kill me. Even if the enemy meant it for destruction, may God have turned it around for good. And I believe that any one of you listening to this show today, you can do exactly the same. It doesn't matter the adverse situation that you're going through. Name it. 
The AK strategy is the way forward. I've applied it in uh, several adverse situations and I can indeed recommend it because it works. Well, Kate, thank you so much for sharing you. your thoughts and your beliefs and your strengths with us. And I really hope that any listener out there, if you're feeling a bit shaky, you're not sure where you're at with your life, or you just need some guidance, uh, Kate told you where you can find her. You can also go onto our Facebook page, Metaphorically Speaking Delia, and on Instagram, and the information will be there. So you can contact Kate, uh, have a look at her books again, go to Amazon for that. All the information will be there. So Kate, thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Thank you very much. And my email, if you don't mind, I'll leave my email address just in case you want to contact me by email. It's info at triumphinthemaceofadversity.com. So the same name with the book, but it's just one word. All right. Thank you very much, Dila, for your time. What a great guest this week. I really love speaking to women who are able to put their stories down on paper. I wouldn't say any of that was cock and bull. Well, let's dive back into our metaphor. I thought we might look at a few types of cock and bull stories, how they came about, how they're used and how to describe them. In essence, it's all about deception, and in many ways, we may actually need that for our sanity. That sounds pretty deep, I know, but let me rephrase it. We all need a little magic in our lives. Everyone loves a magician, and there's a real joy in being deceived for entertainment. We could think about the flights of imagination we use to lift our spirits and free our minds through music, the arts, humor, or sports. We read books, watch films, and so on that allow us to experience how things might be different from how they really are in the normal day-to-day. In this way, we are prepared to believe anything for an hour or so. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird! It's a plane! It's Iron Man. And here you are, Charles Xavier. Breathing. I'm Batman. Wonder Woman! Yes, it's Superman! All these things, in one way or another, provide escapism, a release valve, metaphorically speaking. Storytelling traditions can take many forms, including epic poems, chants, rhymes, songs, and more. Not all of these stories are historically accurate or even true, and truth is less important than providing cultural cohesion. It can encompass myths, legends, fables, religion, prayers proverbs and instructions. Telling stories is literally folklore. As a cultural tradition, it is as widespread as human settlement and older than writing. Epic poems, songs, myths, legends, fables, parables, prayers, proverbs, instructions. Not all of these stories are historically accurate or even true. Truth, in fact, is less important than providing cultural cohesion and moral and practical guidance. 
Successful techniques to improve our memory often revolve around inventing a story around the things we want to retain. It's the oldest trick in the book. They say that a great raconteur, by just reading a telephone directory aloud, can make us laugh, cry, fear, and rejoice. The bare facts are plain to hear, but the embellishment is what reaches our emotions. But what makes a story cock and bull is the intention to genuinely deceive. Just as conjurers use distracting gestures, a cock and bull story adds fiction as if it were fact, and just as sleight of hand is used to disguise, a cock and bull story hides or disguises some real facts. And here is where caution is advised. Cuttle on Hitler's orders. Don't you believe it? Once again, it's time for Don't You Believe It, the show that dares to explode heretofore accepted facts. Some cock and bull stories are not meant for mere entertainment or enjoyment, but are motivated by a desire to control or influence behavior. The world of advertising is full of cock and bull of one sort or another, from airbrushed photos to actors playing the part of a clinician, scripted by marketing executives. We all like to think we're not fooled, of course, but sales figures show a different picture. Lies, damned lies, and statistics said Henry Ford, and it can be revealing to do the maths with the carefully manipulated statistics we often see across the bottom of a screen. The opinion of a fraction of women is often involved in the selling of cosmetics, for example. The last few years have made everyone more aware of false news and misinformation, although this has been around forever. Diddy block number 29. If it looked like a duck, quack like a duck, Walk like a duck. What is it? It's a duck. Well, the answer to that may seem simple, but in fact, most of us are taken in by clever disguise. We're also prone to accept even the wildest exaggeration, so long as it is delivered with a straight face and repeatedly. A wily politician might claim to know about something better than anyone ever in the history of the world, for example. In fact, it could be argued that we are prone to being deceived. We will happily suspend our disbelief for a great story, and we even teach our children to do the same. Oh, Granny, what big eyes you have, said Little Red Riding Hood. All the better to see you with, replied the wolf. Oh, Granny, what big teeth you have. I Ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas! The fictional daydreamer Walter Mitty is a character in a short story by James Thurber. He invents cock and bull stories about himself in heroic situations. In itself, daydreaming may be quite common and harmless, but the psychotic condition of fantasism is sometimes called Walter Mitty syndrome. This is where low self-esteem or some trauma leads to a person inventing experiences about themselves, even entirely new identities, and becoming deluded by their own stories, believing them to be true. We might see this as an extreme case of the popular self-assertion troupe, Fake it till you make it. We could be kings, just some kids from Pacific Heights. Oh.
This approach to life typified the earlier life of public speaker Frank Abagnale, which inspired a Hollywood movie, Catch Me If You Can. Whatever the truth of some of his claims, or indeed the movie, he was certainly very successful in deceiving people. His cock and bull stories over the years displayed a proven technique allowing people to make their own assumptions from his forged props, costumes, use of jargon and confident manner. Con artists the world over make misleading claims, luring their victims with cock and bull stories. Every tribe under the sun has some classical story to tell, and many of them are fantastical. They are as universal as speech itself and help preserve the tribe's history and educate the young. From the Cocktail Nation, who once inhabited the region of modern Mississippi, to the Gasheads, as fans of football team Bristol Rovers are known, to a regular foursome of parents having coffee around the corner from a primary school in Belfast. Every tribe has chat and gossip and stories that we tell each other. Stories can become local lore, sometimes even grow into legend, but sometimes, amongst them, there's a cock and bull story. Well, it seems convoluted, I know, but eventually I happened to mention Belfast on that 22nd world tour of storytelling, cock and bull, or otherwise, which is all the excuse we need to turn to the amazing Gary Moore again to sign off on the topic. Thank you for joining me today and my thanks to Kate Orogubu for such insight and inspiration and also to our team of writers, editors and technicians and a special mention to our writer David McDade who did a wonderful piece of writing for this metaphor, a cock and bull story. I'm sure you'll agree. As always, I welcome any of your comments and don't forget, if you'd like to suggest a metaphor for an upcoming show, you can reach us at Colourful, go to shows and Delia or email us at info at metaphoricallyspeaking.uk. We'd love you to share the show with your friends or leave a review on colourful.com or on our podcast, Metaphorically Speaking, which is on Apple, Spotify and all major streaming platforms. We depend on you to help us grow so we can produce the best content for you to enjoy. Join us for another metaphor next week. Until then, keep safe. I'm Delia Delore. Goodbye.
Thanks for listening to Metaphorically Speaking, created by Delia Delore Productions, with original distribution by Colourful. This episode was hosted by Delia Delore and had segments written by David McDade. Script supervisor, Sabina Lauchopra-Garcia. Production assistance and social media graphics by Odua Osemwenke. The final programme was edited by Jonathan Woods and social media videos by Ernie Deneve.